And welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. You can also interact with us on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. So we'll recap the Senior Bowl, recap the Pro Bowl. We'll also get your reaction to those games and look ahead to the draft as well as the start of the Giants offseason with respect to free agency before more of the draft festivities get underway. So, Paul, let's start with the Senior Bowl, and we talked about all of this last week. We knew coming in that the defensive line pass rush position, not just in the Senior Bowl, but in the entire draft class, clearly had the most depth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's well documented. And my, one of my biggest takeaways from the game as well as the week of practices was I think most of those guys did show up, and I think there's potential in that group. It's encouraging to see some of the guys from the smaller programs you know, such as a Colin Saunders out of Western Illinois, the one that is 6'2", 310, and moves around like he's an acrobat. Uh, he certainly, <laughs> I thought, got some good pressure on the opposing quarterbacks. Actually just had a kid this week, went back and forth home the to Chicago. The backflips were very yes, impressive. the backflips is probably what helped make a name for himself. But the reason I bring somebody up like that is you should never overlook somebody from a smaller program because – as long as they show they can compete in practices with the guys from the major programs, I wouldn't doubt that that skill set can't translate to the next level. Well, let's put it this way, Lance. When these scouts are going to look at these players, they already have some idea, obviously, from what they saw during the course of the season as to what they can expect. But I was always told about these games, these practices and these all-star games and also the combine, is that a player, unless something dramatically goes wrong with his medicals, or they find out something off the field, or he decides to just be a, what's the word I'm looking for? A very uncooperative player for some reason. PG-13 version. <laughs> yes. A jackass, if you will, during the practices and go. the games. All right, now we're moving more in the direction of rated R. Okay, like yeah. okay. It, it, unless something like that happens, I've been told that it's very unusual for a pro personnel department to downgrade a player off of his performance at an all-star game or at a combine. Usually, the guy can lift his grade a little bit if he's really, really good, or his grade stays the same, or he simply prompts the department to go back and review something else from during the course of the season because he intrigues them so much. I've been told that unless, again, extenuating circumstances occur, the player will never lose points on his grade strictly from his play. It's got to be something that's just really, like I said, out of the ordinary. He's uncooperative with the coaches. Uh, his personnel profile is messed up. His medical profile is messed up. Rarely, if ever, does a player's play in these situations, cost him in his grade, is what I've been told. Well, and that's what it should be, like, Paul. I am in agreement with the scout's perspective. I'm in agreement with your perspective. I think the entire resume is far more important than how you flash during the course of one week, whether it be a game, a few practices, because here's the other thing. And I was not blown away by the quarterbacks overall, and mm -hmm. we'll get into that a little bit. But at the same time, watching that game, I'm also saying to myself, you're asking these quarterbacks to now work with personnel that they only had a few practices with. Mm -hmm. The timing, the communication is not anywhere near Paul 
where it was during the course of the regular season when they were working with their normal personnel. So you at least need to put things in perspective when you evaluate even a quarterback in a game like this. I would not disagree. But, you know, here's what I will say. There is a certain amount of um, leadership qualities that a guy can show just by walking into the locker room, especially with a bunch of new guys. Or the huddle, too. Or the huddle. Yeah. And, and, and there is a certain amount of innate ability that he can show. I'll never forget, okay, somebody told me many years ago, it was, a, it was an assistant coach, he was an offensive coordinator, and I won't name names, but he said to me, there are some players you just know they have it. The it factor. And he's like, I can't give you a definition of it, but there are things that he does with his voice, with the way he carries himself, with his overall presence, with his mannerisms, that give you a little bit of an extra in terms of an opportunity to succeed because he has that it factor. He has the ability to get guys to listen to him, to believe in him, to believe in themselves, to believe in the program, to believe in the play that's being called. There are guys who can be very convincing as soon as they walk into a room, they can command a room or command a huddle, and therefore it gives them a little bit of an edge over somebody who may be passive or timid or doesn't have an outgoing personality, or does not have a take-command type of personality. And so those things can be seen, I do think, in these All-Star games and at the Combine. Now, does that change the player's grade? Again, I'm not saying that you will demote a guy off of that. That's not one of the extraneous things that I'm talking about that will cost a guy grade points. But it certainly can potentially make you look at a guy a second time if you suddenly find out after watching him on the field and watching his tape, you say, well, wait a minute now. I finally got to meet this guy. And in his interview, he just really blew me away with his command. You know, I wonder, could I see some things when I go back and look at the tape again? Did I see some things on the field that show me that command skill or that leadership skill? And maybe you see something you didn't see the first time. Well, and I think it's impressive if a player gets thrown in with a bunch of players that they're not used to working with and is effective and earns their respect, then I think that says a lot about their potential as a signal caller at the next level. There's no doubt about that. For example, during the broadcast, they were talking about the cadence of Gardner Minshew and how he was handling the play calls coming in through his helmet, how he didn't miss a beat. Regardless of his execution, I'm just talking about his cadence was brought up. Daniel Jones, the Duke quarterback, they were talking about how earlier in the week seemed to be passive, but then got more and more comfortable as practice progressed. Mm -hmm. He seemed to be more comfortable with the offense and so forth. And Jones, to me, also, I think, followed a similar blueprint in the game of all the quarterbacks I saw. I thought it took some time for him to settle in, and then as he settled in, he became more and more comfortable in the pocket, more and more comfortable with the playmakers around him, and started to make some plays. And, and that's also what you want to see, Paul, because you know, in an NFL game, sometimes, hey, you know, the defense gets the better of you for the first quarter. And then all of a sudden, the second quarter, the game slows down. So you also want to see how a quarterback adjusts to maybe not getting off to a great start, and then little by little, getting more and more into the flow of the game. Well, again, Lance, I think for me, 
you know, it's fun to watch these things. I tell people all the time, I, I do watch the All-Star games. I do watch as much of the practice coverage that NFL Network and ESPNU can give us. I do, because for me, it's the first time that I get to 100% concentrate on these players. During the course of the NFL season, I'm so locked in to who the Giants are playing that weekend and spending all week looking at tape of the Redskins or the Cowboys or the Eagles or the 49ers. You know, and I'm doing college games on Saturday at the FCS level. I don't have time to look at these guys. So for me, this is my first exposure to them outside of maybe catching some games during the season on television. I saw Haskins a couple of times play Ohio State, uh, play with Ohio State on television. Um, I can't make a solid judgment off of that. So, you know, yeah, for me as an amateur, you know, not as someone who scouts for a living, this is an important thing for me because it gives me a first impression. But to the guys who do this for a living, it's a totally different ball game. And I think that's what we all have to remember. You and me and anybody else who was watching the Senior Bowl practices or the Senior Bowl on television who maybe didn't watch these guys as a professional talent evaluator did all season, our angle and our perspective on these guys is going to be totally different than those who are paid to do it for a living and saw the guy play maybe four or five times during the course of the year. And that's why I keep going back to it's the entire resume, not what an individual does in one game as well as one practice. With that being said, though, outside of the quarterbacks, outside of the defensive line, I think it is worthy of just maybe throwing out a few names that stood out to us because I think that these are some names that people may want to monitor throughout the draft process and so forth. As far as the wide receivers are concerned, Paul, I know you and I were talking before we came on. Keelan Doss from UC Davis is certainly a wide receiver that I would keep close tabs on. He's Mm -hmm. got the frame. He's got the catch radius. That, to me, makes him an attractive player at the next level. Like him very much. Uh, Like David Sills as well. Both of those guys tend to be on the taller side of the wide receivers who are going to be available in the upcoming draft. And why do we bring them up? Well, I think we could make a very strong case for the Giants needing to add a taller wide receiver to their room. As a complimentary piece to what they already have. Now, on the opposite side of the spectrum, Andy Isabella from UMass, Mm -hmm. small program, slot wide receiver. Smurf. Who I think, (laughs) fair synopsis of his stature, but I think in all seriousness, he's a guy that I think could very well flourish at the next level. Part of me feels that he's got New England Patriot written all over him because he looks like he's part of that Danny Amendola, Chris Hogan, Julian Edelman crew, or the Cole Beasleys of the world from the Dallas Cowboys. He reminds me of a lot of those guys. The same thing can be said of Hunter Renfro, but Hunter Renfro, to me, has received a lot more acclaim because of what he did with Clemson and winning a national championship, whereas Andy Isabella, to me, is not necessarily a household name, Paul. Well, you know what's disappointing to me is that most of the top-level wide receivers in this draft were not in these all-star games. Well, because it's limited to seniors and fourth-year juniors. Correct. Yeah. Correct. We're talking about guys who are coming out as juniors, and they can't play in these suckers. So you could probably say 10 out of the maybe the top 12 wide receivers who were going to go in this draft – were not available for us to watch in these all-star games. So, you know, that's the unfortunate part. So we were left with a secondary grouping, if you will, of people to look at. Now, the guys we just talked about are not first-round picks. But that's good because you want to know who's maybe going to come to a team in the third or the fourth round. Well, that's exactly what I I was going to say. You know, at the borderline third, maybe in the fourth round, if these guys are sitting there, did you see something that intrigued you enough that you might want them? 
Uh, I, I definitely think all three guys that we just talked about are going to have make it grades in the NFL. Absolutely. We know about Montez Sweat with respect to name recognition. Mm -hmm. I think he lived up to that bill. He is arguably one of the best pass rushers in this group. Jalen Ferguson was another one who came in with a lot of hype out of Louisiana Tech, a smaller program. I thought he made two nice back-to-back -back plays in the third quarter. One was a sack, which was probably assisted by the quarterback holding onto the football a little too long. And another one was a pressure play that led to an incomplete pass. I know you're sort of iffy with respect to what you've seen out of Ferguson thus far, Paul. Yeah, I, you know, I like Sweat better. Uh, I thought Sweat had, had more athleticism and was quicker coming off the edge and getting to the quarterback and getting into the backfield. Ferguson disturbed me a little bit. I thought he was a little bit more uh, robotic, uh, a little more slower in his movements. That doesn't mean that, you know, he can't do better. And maybe if I go back and when I do go back and look at some of his cut-ups, I might see something that's really cool and decide that, okay, wow, that's really great and I'd love to have this guy. Right now, I see Sweat as a better pro prospect than Ferguson based on, again, the limited sample size and first impression that I saw this week. But we want to put an asterisk next to everything we're saying because we have not studied these guys as much as I know I will. You probably will do some, too. Well, these are just first impressions, what we saw to the Senior Bowl. I mean, that's the main purpose of this conversation. Who to perhaps keep in the back of your mind as you look at players that you may be a good fit at the NFL level, not necessarily just for the New York Giants because, let's face it, a lot of the players we talk about, and we do this every single offseason when we have guests on that break down players from every mm -hmm. school, they're going to be across the NFL landscape. And we all consume the NFL, so it's good to know not just necessarily who may be suiting up for the New York Giants. We want to remind you, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Now to the best part of the show, Paul Dottino told me that he was enamored by the Pro Bowl this weekend. So wait I'm not even going to start minute, this wait conversation. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You were going to pass over the offensive lineman? Well, I thought we'd mix and match a little bit. We still have more of the program. We don't necessarily have to break down everybody, but I will give you the opportunity to tell us who you thought jumped off the page with respect to the offensive well, line. Here's what's interesting to me, okay? I, I, I made a list of, of all of the tackles, the left tackles and the right tackles, who I think are going to be taken by the end of the second day in the NFL draft based on what people have told me. And then I tried to find these guys in the Shrine Game and in the Senior Bowl. And it looks to me like Andre Dillard out of Washington State, who is a left tackle in college but will probably be a right tackle in the NFL, he was probably the highest graded tackle who was in any of these games. He was in the Senior Bowl. And, and that's the problem, you see, because he's not going to be a left tackle in the NFL. He's going to be a right tackle. So you've got to project him to flop sides and and see for me that's where these scouts really get paid the big bucks because as we know sometimes guys can't make that flop it's not as easy as just picking up a fork with your left hand or your right hand you know if you cut your steak with the left hand and all of a sudden someone says cut your steak with the right hand you can do it pretty well but when somebody says now you got to guard that edge to save your quarterback's skin it's not quite as easy. It's a little bit different under those circumstances. And so I don't know if Andre Dillard can project well to right tackle in the National Football League. He practiced as a right tackle this week at the Senior Bowl, and it looked like he did a pretty good job. But does he have all of the things he's going to need to do as a right tackle when he switches his hands and his balance and his technique and everything else? I don't know. And that's what disturbed me is that, you know, I wanted to see 
more pure right tackles because I think that's where the Giants are looking. And and I guess for me, uh, Caleb McGarry from Washington was the best pure right tackle that was in the game. He's a big dude at 6'7". He's come off some heart ailments. They actually have him here at 6'8", I think, even. Okay. Perhaps. He, yeah. You know, so he's he's the bookend to Nate Solder. Okay. He's come off some serious heart ailments where he's had medication to level that out. He's obviously been fine to play college football. I don't anticipate that's going to block him or hurt him in the NFL combine and then subsequently in the draft. But he was the best pure right tackle that played in the game. And I thought he did well. And I like him very much, but now the problem there is you have to be able to project with his mammoth size, especially height. He's got to deal with leverage issues and footwork issues against speed rushes in the NFL, which he's never had to deal with guys who are that quick in college. Because all of a sudden now, if you're 6'7", or 6'8", for that matter, and you're dealing with a guy you know, out in, in in the Pacific Northwest in a college situation, there's probably nobody there who's nearly as fast as somebody like, let's say, Ryan Kerrigan. And so because they're not as fast, maybe his difficulties in balancing and in gaining leverage didn't show up because he wasn't going up against guys who were fast enough to take advantage of that potential deficiency. So that's what gives, to me, the scout's eye the most difficulty. He's got to be able to project now, hey, this guy could be a stud right tackle in college. All right, but he wasn't tested. The things that we need him to do at the NFL level, he did not have to, to test himself on as he was a college player. Anyway. Well, I think you can make that assumption about a number of players that are not necessarily in the SEC that are not in the Big Ten and are not necessarily in the ACC, meaning conferences where you know there's elite pass rushers and speedsters, to your point. You really have to make those projections with all of the players outside of those conferences. Yeah, the, the, well, that's part of the reason why they say all the time level of comp is going to be one of the grades and one of the issues that can easily hurt a guy's value. Because all of a sudden, well, oh, he played at uh, you know the FCS level. How do we know? And it's, it's, it's a, a question mark. Well, that's why it's an inexact science. But in fairness, Darius Leonard, for example, was at a South Carolina State last year. Loved him at the Senior Bowl. And look at what he and did. And look how good he was. So yeah. my, my point is, yes, is it something you should question and do research about? Absolutely. Is it, to me, an automatic downgrade? No. Oh, no, I'm not saying it because is. we I'm have saying seen the skills that translate. The, the bad news for me is that as I get my first impression of this player— I, I, I need to be able to see something that I could not see just from watching this week's Senior Bowl. And I probably am not going to see a whole lot of when I look at his cut-ups either, to be honest with you. How many people you know in his conference have the kind of speed coming off the edge that NFL players do? Probably not very many. Yeah. I mean, you're going to get flashes here or there. 
during the course of the regular so, season. So anyway. You may not necessarily see the consistency. Just real quickly, two other guys that jumped out to me, but they're more interior guys. Uh, Garrett Bradbury, center from North Carolina State. He was good the other day. Yep. And then the other one is Chris Lindstrom from Boston College, who got matched up with a lot of big boys inside. Mm -hmm. And there was one play where the quarterback took a sack, but it was mainly because of the fact that the quarterback ran into the defensive lineman, not necessarily as a result of a breakdown by Chris Lindstrom. I jotted down one other guy, and I think he's probably a second or third round pick out of Kansas State. Uh, he, uh, Dalton Reisner. Yes. This guy, now, in college, played some center, played some right versatile tackle. Versatile guy. Versatile guy. They list him at 6'5", 308. Came off shoulder surgery in 2017. Now, at 6'5", 308, I'm not sure, you know, because of his versatility, where he's going to wind up landing in the National Football League. But, boy, do you see the grit on this player? You could you could tell. That's one thing you can tell in these all-star practices and these and these all-star games, these senior bowl games, uh, in the Shrine game. You could see the guys get after it stuff because – in my opinion, if you can't get after it in this scenario when you know you're getting looked at, it's a pre-combine interview, if you will. And you have the pads on. If if you show some spice, some oregano, you know, in that situation, that's a good sign. That's something I'm already going to be, okay, let me make sure I get a really good extra long, hard look at this guy because he showed me some oregano. I like that. This, this guy showed it to me. Yeah, and you want to see guys play up to the competition. You don't want to see the reverse. You don't want to see them just go through the motions. Now, to me, that's a good segue into... That's what Will Hernandez did, by the way, last year. Yeah, well, and that's the competitive fire that you want to see. And part of that is also when we were talking about the quarterbacks earlier, how they handle the huddle. Are they taking things seriously? Are they just going through the motions? All of those things, I think, are relevant when you evaluate a player. Right, now, flop Speaking, the page. Yes, of the level of competition and effort. And seriousness. Get to the Pro Bowl yesterday in Orlando, oh. and I know you were a very big fan of the game, so I'll let you kick off this conversation. I know you were glued to the television for all four quarters. I only had one takeaway off of the Pro Bowl, okay? Actually, I had two. One was that Michael Thomas, the Giants special teamer who made the Pro Bowl, on his first opportunity against the Jammer, he was playing gunner on the punt team on the left side, near sideline, uh, as you were watching it on television. He gave full effort to get down there and kick coverage on a punt return and made a solid one-on-one -on -one solo tackle right off the bat. Which is not a surprise to me. And I really enjoyed that because I know that was a prideful thing for him. He knows how, how underrated special teams are. God knows he's played it ever since he got into the league. And he has made a, a darn good living at being a good special teams player. And to get the recognition, to go to the Pro Bowl, you knew that, you know what? he was going to make a good special teams tackle, and he did. And that was textbook, and I was really happy for him just because it allowed him to show everybody, hey, you know what? This is how it's done, by the book. Well, And, it was his, and I liked it. And it was his first Pro Bowl. So you knew Michael Thomas, and he, even based on the reaction of when he found out he was going to be a replacement after the Rams wound up winning, mm -hmm. you could tell he was animated and he was worked up. Right, that's one take I took. My second take was... It is preposterous and ridiculous in more ways than one to have guys play out of position. To have Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley playing defensive line for several snaps in this game. Kamara too. Alvin Kamara as well. Really bugged the heck out of me. Okay? Uh, I get it that 
you know, Jason Garrett is the coach of the Cowboys, and he was coaching the team. So you could say, well, he put Ezekiel Elliott out there, so I guess it's okay. He put his own guy out there. No, no, that that's not good. If I'm the Saints, I'm Sean Payton, I don't want Alvin Kamara playing defensive line. And if I'm the Giants, I don't want Saquon Barkley playing defensive line in the Pro Bowl either. Okay? If if you want to use Elliott as a as a um as a quarterback as they did on one Wild of the Wildcat Cat. plays, fine. You want to run one of those running backs outside as a receiver? They do that in the regular game anyway. Fine. I don't need those guys playing defensive line. Tyler Eifert, the tight end for the Bengals about five years ago, playing his regular tight end position, significantly sprained, high ankle sprain in in one of these Pro Bowl games on his ankle. And he was doing what he was supposed to do. I don't need to see any of these superstar players who take up huge chunks of salary cap money, although Barkley not because he's a rookie. Rookie contract. But I don't need to see any of these guys get dinged up or nicked up because they're trying to mock themselves into somebody else's position. Bad idea. Okay? I'm 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 saying it's irresponsible of of Garrett to do that to his own running back, never mind somebody else's running back. Hey, you want to play defensive line? Do it in your backyard with your kids playing flag football on Father's Day. Don't do it down at the Pro Bowl. Well, my reaction is injuries are going to happen regardless. So I'm not so caught up about the injury factor. I mean, you brought up Eifert getting hurt playing his own position. You get hurt in week one. You get hurt in week 15. You get hurt in the playoffs. You can't protect players from getting hurt. It's going to happen. It's the nature of the game. I'm in agreement with you that those guys should not be put on the defensive line just from a competitive standpoint. Well, it, it makes that, it more of a mockery than well, it that, is. And that's, to me, the more of an argument as Fine. opposed to the safety because the bottom line is, I'm sure I have my suspicions, Barkley, Zeke, and Kamara campaigned for Garrett to put them in on the defensive line, and he said, sure, have some fun. But if you're going to want the Pro Bowl to be treated as a serious competitive game, then guys should not be playing out of position. It should be treated like a normal NFL game. And remember, a few years ago, you know, there was the threat about we're going to remove the Pro Bowl, guys are not taking it seriously, and now I feel like we resorted back to what they tried to remove over the last few years, because the last few years the game had been competitive. This did not have that type of feel. So that's my reaction to when guys are playing out of position. I'm not worried about the injury factor. It's just if you want the game to be treated seriously, then guys themselves have to be playing their own positions, and they have to take it seriously. How could a fan take it seriously if the guys themselves are not taking it seriously? Yeah, so uh, so I have both points. You're agreeing with one of them. That's fine. Bottom line is it is an issue. I, I wrote, by the way, the other day, and this kind of goes to what you said. I wrote this yesterday. I posted it on Twitter. Uh, for those of you watching the Pro Bowl, this level of play is between a jog through and a thud practice. These terms are used plenty during the year, and now you have a visual. And that's exactly what it was. On some plays, it was a jog through. On other plays, it was a thud practice. Yeah, especially and, with the tackling, too. And in some cases, it depended upon who the player was. You know, uh, sometimes you could see there were defensive players who simply didn't want to hit you at all and just wanted to play touch and get the whistle blown, and that was the end of the play. Then there were other guys who actually at least gave you a bump. That's a thud. Uh, And then we saw a couple of guys who would wrap and release, which is, again, part of that whole thud practice thing. What you saw, if you did not care for the, the taste of football that you saw at the Pro Bowl, Folks, again, that is akin to the jog-throughs and the thud practices that we have to usually deal with during the course of training camp 
and during the course of the season, thanks to the new CBA that went into play several years ago. And so when we tell you that the CBA in some ways inhibits the development of players and leads to shoddy tackling because they cannot practice their tackling techniques, guess what? You now have a visual. You now understand what it is we're talking about. Well, and here's the other thing. Even if the players don't want to necessarily go through the motions, the bottom line is they don't have another realistic game until the preseason comes around, Paul. And God forbid somebody gets hurt. You got the next few months to rest up if you sprain your ankle or whatever it may be because you're not going to get back on the field until April when spring workouts begin. And even those spring workouts are limited too, as you just mentioned. So the fear factor should really not be in the mindset of the players. To me, you should take part in the Pro Bowl if you're going to treat it as a normal game. If not, then you know what? They could find the fourth or the fifth guy on the replacement chart to take your place. That's how I've always felt. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Let's open up the phone lines. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We've got Lloyd in Virginia. Lloyd, you're on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you have for us? Hey, just to let you know, uh, oh, and long time no talk to you fellas, but uh, it was Lloyd in Philly. I'm moved okay. to Virginia, so Hi. Uh, I'll be keeping track of everything from here. How's it going, Paul? <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> good for you. Um, I, I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to have a, a, a short conversation with you, Paul, because uh, I've been listening to you for the last couple of weeks talk about Dwayne Haskins yeah, and where he slotted to go. And I, I, I want you to understand I respect you a lot, but I have to respectfully disagree. That's okay. With some of the things that you've been saying over the last couple of weeks. And it's just that a quarterback is different than any other position in the draft in that best player available may be a defensive end or a defensive tackle. But usually the position that goes in the top two is going to be a quarterback. It's rare that it's not a quarterback in the top two. And it doesn't matter where they're graded. Um, because we saw the same thing with Tampa Bay and, and Tennessee taking Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. Right. Teams reach. Last year. We get it. Yeah, sure. They 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 were they were rated to be uh, taken a little bit later, but because they were quarterbacks, because of the demand of the position and franchise decisions that are being made, they always get drafted higher. And I don't think that's necessarily overdrafting someone. It's just it's even the way it is. And when when somebody's contract is up at the quarterback position, they usually get paid more than anyone else just because they're a quarterback. It has nothing to do with their stats. Um, their wins and losses is if you're going to keep them, you got to pay them this dollar amount based off of him being a starter. Well, because of the market value, too. Right, right. That, that's what I mean. Thanks for hitting uh, that. That's fine. That in there. Uh, yeah, I, I don't dispute that. It, it okay. happens all the time. I mean, and really, quite frankly, too, you will sometimes have ownership which will get involved and say, we need the marquee quarterback, and they'll even tell the GM and the personnel guy, hey, I don't care if you've got this guy rated 12. We got, we got a, a, a pick at eight, and we need a marquee guy. We need to sell tickets. So guess what? You're picking them at eight. That happens too, you know. Like the yeah. Johnny Manziel selection so, for well, the yeah. Browns, Jerry Jones has admitted. Right up there. Jerry Jones admitted he wanted Johnny Manziel with his, with his first-round pick the year that Manziel came out, and it was Stephen Jones' son who convinced him, no, Dad, yeah. we got to go offensive line. You cannot take Johnny Manziel. 
But Jerry Jones was attracted to the ticket sales. He wanted to get the big PR move. So that's another reason why these quarterbacks get lofted up. Right. So I guess it's not as much of a disagreement as I thought. Okay. I just wanted to say that (laughs) if the Giants are sitting at six Mm -hmm. and Haskins is available and they don't take him, I, as a fan, am going to be disappointed. I know Stephen D.C. is going to be disappointed. I heard him call in once. And I listened to his uh, his podcast. There's a couple of the Giant fans who are, I I know haven't called in yet. Um, they haven't talked much because it's not quite the off season off season, right? But for for all of the people that I'm listening to, they're really high on Dwayne Haskins. I'm looking at his stats, and I understand he doesn't have the time and well, I'm thinking in military terms, time and service, time and grade. Mm-hmm. But for what he accomplished for one season, if he did that over four seasons, you'd be fighting over him. Right now we got the sixth pick. He's kind of fallen into our laps. So well, we'll we see. I mean, trade but, up the... well, Lloyd, though, there could be a team that moves up that's very high on him, to your point, oh, yeah. and, and grabs yeah. him. So, I mean, right now it's all speculative. We have no idea if he's even going to be yeah. on the board when the Giants select. And in fairness, Lloyd, and I'm not necessarily disagreeing with anything you're throwing out here, there were fans that are still irritated over the Giants drafting Saquon Barkley last year and passing on Sam Darnold and some of the other guys. So so when you say you're irritated and a bunch of other Giants fans, I could go through the history of the NFL draft and I can find fans that are irritated. Yeah. You're never going no, to please yeah. America no, when I you mean, run a team. You know, no, no. I mean, there, there's no dispute here. I mean, it's yeah. okay. It's okay. Right. It's okay. I mean, hey, I, here's what I will say to you, though. Um, until... Until the um, the draft actually comes down and we find out where he goes and then the reasons for that team, whoever it is, decides to take him, okay, they're going to then have to justify to their people and, of course, their, their fan base and everything else why they took or, or didn't take him. Every team does that. And, of course, they always tell you right. our first-round pick is the guy we wanted all along yeah. because that's the smart thing to say. I, I get that. From a marketing perspective, you better say that. But – what 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 you have to understand about about when we're talking about these things now and even in late July or late January don't rush and, our lives. and let me make this clear i i've said this before outside of seeing him a couple of times on television i have not done my tape breakdown on haskins yet so what i'm telling you is coming from veteran people who have done this for a living over the course of 10 15 20 25 35 years okay and they've said to me his value, he's not. He's nowhere near top six value in the draft. He could go there because these guys tend to get pushed up. But his right. actual value, he's much. Look, I had a guy just tell me this, and I, I'm not joking. The guy, town pro personnel evaluator for 35 years in this league, said to me, his value, he's a mid-second round pick. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding no, you. No, no, no. I, I have a good friend of mine that's... um. Uh, I, I can't say he's in play pro, uh, pro player personnel or anything, but he said that he as well had him graded somewhere between the second and the third round. So, so, so I understand the grade, right? But it's just that when the best quarterback available in a draft usually goes top two. Well, let me ask Very you this: rarely. if if that's the grade, let's say you take your friend's word as as truth, and that's the grade, can you honestly, if you had the pick and you were the GM, could you feel good about picking a guy sixth? If your personnel guy said he should be a second or third round pick, well, it's based off of um, how much time he's played the position. He's only had one year in college, so correct. If he had two years in college and the stats are similar, then his draft stock rises. Of course. So it's just a matter of getting a getting him 
at a bargain now where he's going to sit for a year behind Eli, which I'm hoping happens. Um, yeah, I would I would take him this, this early. Okay, well here, here here's but the problem it, now. But, but, but it's only it's only with his ceiling being high. If his ceiling wasn't high, then I wouldn't do it. All right, there there are two issues though with doing that. Number one, at six, your your same personnel guys probably given you a whole list of guys who he believes are worth the sixth pick at different positions and says, hey, listen, my friend, uh, this guy's definitely worth six as a defensive end. This guy's definitely worth six as a linebacker. This guy's a cover corner. These guys are worth six. There's no ceiling. There's no projection. These guys are blue chip number six picks. Can you really afford to pass up one of those guys to take someone who he has evaluated as a second or third rounder? That's a really, really hard thing for most people to do. And then the second no, no, thing no. you have to you have to realize, and I'll let you I'll let you finish. The second thing you have okay. to realize as well is that there are guys who have had one or two terrific college seasons. They don't come out, and then all of a sudden. In their ensuing college season, their draft stock falls because guess what? Maybe they did not hit the anticipated ceiling that you thought they would. So how do we know, for for anybody out there who thinks that Haskins only played one year and the sky's the limit for him, how do you know that if he didn't stay at Ohio State for another season that his draft stock wouldn't fall and that he would throw 20 interceptions instead of only a few? How do you know? It happens. Well, you don't. There yeah. are guys who slip backwards the other way. It happens. That's yeah. fact. I'm not making that up. It does happen, you know. Yeah, right, I, think, I think I saw it either from – I was looking at Will Greer, and I think there was one other guy, and uh, their stats the previous year were I think he threw like 20 more touchdowns mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. And for, for some reason there was a drop-off. Sure. But, no, I, I honestly couldn't – I couldn't I – could, I could argue the point, but I couldn't sell it. Well, because we, there's no proof. It's all speculation. That's all. Right. Yeah. Right. And, that, and that's and that's and, truthfully why in, in a lot of these cases there's no quote right answer. In a lot of these cases, it's base your opinion on fact, but we can agree to disagree on the opinion. And and, and that's the way a lot of these things are. And Lloyd, we're going to let you go on that point because we want to obviously okay. get to some more calls and appreciate. Thanks for the call. The phone call. I, I've said this on the program multiple times. I'll say it again. I think Haskins, compared to previous quarterbacks that have come out of Ohio State in recent history, is probably as closest to the pure pocket passer and quarterback that is not necessarily first instinct to run compared to some of the other guys that we've seen, such as the JT Barrett's, the Cardell Joneses, and so forth. If you want to look at that from a comparison from within the school. Which, by the way, is my style of quarterback. Yeah. That's the style that so, I prefer. Haskins does not fall in line with those previous Ohio State quarterbacks. Where he falls in line compared to the Sam Darnolds, the Baker Mayfields, I don't necessarily think he's above them at this point from what I've seen during the college season. But that doesn't mean that he's not the best quarterback in this class. Though I wouldn't guarantee, though, that he's considered the best quarterback in the eyes of all personnel because what's going to happen is what they saw at the Senior Bowl, what they see at the Combine, you're going to see guys move up and down. For example, Daniel Jones out of Duke, we weren't hearing anything about him during the college season. I don't want anybody to tell me, oh, you, Daniel Jones was the number one rated guy or it was a top two or three quarterback. Then all of a sudden, did you notice, Paul, regular season ends, we start looking at mock drafts. All of a sudden, Daniel Jones is the hot commodity, and we just saw him in the pro in the senior bowl, rather. So the point is, sometimes guys rise up, and, and Baker Mayfield made a rise, too. I, I know we're talking about a Heisman Trophy winner, but 
even leading up to the draft, very few people were sold on the fact that the Browns were going to take him number one overall. They were not necessarily doubting that he'd be a first-round pick, but not necessarily the guy that the Browns would go after number one. So we're going to have a curveball here and there. Just well, be prepared for that. Well, I, I put this up on Twitter the other day, and then some guy ch- challenged me on it because he found somebody who said that Haskins was high all along. It seems to me that the bulk of the street talk in December, and I'm talking street talk now, that is the common, the newspapers, the web, the common street talk was that Herbert was the bona fide number one first-round quarterback lock in this draft. If he was to come out. If he was to come out. And people were saying then, at least most of the talk, not I'm not going to say every person in the world felt this, but most of the talk, the predominant talk, was that Haskins would be a fringe first-rounder. That That's what you heard in most circles. He's a fringe first-rounder, and Herbert is the guaranteed lock top-ten quarterback in this draft. So now, what happened between December and now? All of a sudden, Herbert decides he's not going to come out. Correct. And now you got people saying, well, Haskins is a top 10 for sure. Haskins could be a top five for sure. All of a sudden, he went up 25, 30 spots without having done anything. Well, I wouldn't go so far to say that he hadn't done anything. I, he played, I think, what, two games since then? Well, the resume is not overly big. There's no doubt about that. But like anything else, when you all of a sudden hear that Herbert's not in it, now you're looking to crown the next well, guy. Well, this goes so, to— I mean, that's just— human. This goes to the caller's last point. His value, his grade may have not changed a whole lot, but because suddenly the law of supply and demand indicates that he's the top guy on the quarterback list, all of a sudden, without changing his value and his grade, his stock goes, what? Well, I mean, it's the same thing. And we'll get to a few more phone calls. And that's, that's artificial inflation is what that is. Well, it's the same thing, though, in the National Football League. When you lose your starter and then the guy on the depth chart moves up, initially he may be an unknown commodity. Case in point, Kansas City, okay? Kareem Hunt, they part ways with because of off-the-field issues, right, Paul? Sure. So Damian Williams. Damian Williams, he was with the Dolphins, sort of a journeyman, not a guy that had a lot of experience as a starting tailback who you'd give – 20 to 25 carries. All of a sudden, they insert Damian Williams, right, the last three or four games of the season. Kansas City's not missing a beat. Now, it's reflective of the offensive line, the quarterback, and Williams deserves credit for his productivity, but now, all of a sudden, the concerns about Kansas City's running game dissipate because of what Damian Williams does, when a few weeks ago, people barely knew Damian Williams was on their depth chart. So, I I think that's relative in sports. When opportunities come, when the guy above you gets removed, it's natural for your stock to go up, assuming your productivity continues. I don't know. I guess my point is I don't think it's unique for the draft. I think we see that in life across the board. It's fair. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Let's head back to lines. Gary is in Virginia. Gary, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? How you doing, Lance and Paul? Doing Hi. Right, Gary. What's on your mind? Uh, I just want to address uh, Eli a little bit. You know, I, I heard so much about uh, moving on, you know, drafting a quarterback this year, but I just, I'm not ready to move forward, uh, move on from Eli. I, I don't understand any of the uh, arguments. Um, his stats were good, uh, if you're a stat guy, and especially considering that he had no line the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, people talk about how, about his age. And you look nowadays, you got, you know, Breeze is 40, uh, Brady's 41, and they're not slowing down. 
I could see Eli playing to 42, 43, no question. I'd like to see them re-sign Eli to, to three years, three or four, and um, get him and say that this is our guy and, and move forward and improve this, this defense instead of wasting a first or second round pick on a quarterback. But that's just me. And that's fine. I just think, you know, the prudent thing to do at this stage of his career, and it is with any of the guys who are in his age bracket, is to say, let, let's just deal with it on a year-by-year basis and let's figure out what we're going to do every offseason. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have some type of contract in place, one that is not guaranteed or one that's full of incentives so that you have something in, on, on paper that could potentially allow you to have them over the course of the long term. But I think when you get to this particular point in time, and it goes across all the four major sports. I mean, look, CC Sabathia and the Yankees has you know just re-signed a second one-year contract in a row. I mean, I don't think anybody really should tell a professional athlete if he still has the physical tools and still has the burning desire to put in the work to succeed. I don't think you should ever slam the door in his face and say, look, you can't play anymore. I mean, that's just, right. that's just my feeling in general. Because if the guy's got the physical tools to get it done and he shows the work that is required to get it done, well, then who are you to say to him that he can't? And you'd always like to give right. the player the opportunity to leave the game on his own terms. That's obviously in an ideal world. It doesn't always happen that way because of injury, because of maybe a younger player from a salary cap perspective that could be a little bit more effective and not eat up as much salary cap space. There's a lot of dynamics that you have to take into consideration. As far as Eli Manning being here beyond next season, I, I think right now we don't know because I think the Giants right now are looking at free agency in the draft, and depending on those moves, that will determine perhaps what they want to do with Eli moving forward. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, I hope they're all done to him. And then I have one quick question about the draft. Um, when you trade, I hope I say this right, but if you trade like a fourth-round pick for the next year, do you usually improve the round? So would you get like a – third round of 2020 well what are you doing with the fourth but I, I what are you doing with the fourth round pick though are you packaging it with a player you're just trading a fourth round pick you're saying yeah i don't think you're guaranteed value increase for the next no year. i, I no, don't think at all you're guaranteed to get a third round pick the following year no i no. There, everything and, depends on the individual situation look if you happen to be in a certain round let's say you're the giants and you have three fourth round picks right and all of a sudden somebody calls you and says look I really want one of your fourth rounders because it's coming up. One of your picks is coming up three spots left on the board, and, and we really want it. Well, then you're going to hold out for as much as you can get. I don't think there's any standard that says you're going to be able to get a three or a four next year or even a five next year. I mean, it, it comes down to what is that guy willing to pay you in that specific situation knowing that he may desperately want to get his hands on another pick right now. It depends on what position the opposite team is in. And appreciate the phone call, Gary. Thank Thanks you. so much for weighing in. Let's hear from Dylan in New York here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Dylan? Hey, good afternoon, guys. Hi. Um, I just had – I know you guys got some calls, so I just had a couple, um, for, like, first-round picks that I had seen in mock drafts that I kind of liked uh, if, if they were available for the Giants. And then I had uh, kind of just one sleeper and then one just – question for a late round pick but um just three guys i like so far um in my own mock draft i did i had the giant selecting jonah williams i liked him from alabama as a tackle um mm -hmm. i know he had he had like a reputation in college as a film junkie i think that's really good to have 
you know, with um, being able to study film and really get into it and uh, know your assignments. And um, I also like the linebacker from LSU, Devin White. I like his size. He's, he's 240, so he's a little bigger, but he's also got speed. He kind of reminds me almost of the Rams linebacker, Corey Littleton. I mean, White's a little bigger than he is, but just kind of that speed. I think it's, you know, the way that the NFL is kind of going now mm -hmm. with the linebackers, you're having a little more speed yeah. rather than size. Um, so I think that would be a pretty uh, good fit. And then uh, one of the last guys I liked was Claylin Farrell uh, from Clemson. Mm -hmm. I he's an edge rusher. Mm -hmm. um, I almost think he would almost fit like a carry win role almost. I mean, kind of putting him in at different spots and, uh, I don't know if he'd be a guy that you would put like how Olivier Vernon would shift down um, to play on the line, even though he's playing the linebacker spot. Um, and then just one one quarterback I've liked all year, and I, I still uh, think pretty highly of him. I think he's kind of a sleeper, is Drew Locke. I know he's had some accuracy kind of issues, um, but I like that he, in college, was able to get snaps under center because I think that's really important to have. And Looking, I missed the senior bowl because I had to work a couple games over the weekend, but um, I I noticed in a couple practices his footwork was kind of um, – he, he was really like kind of planted with his feet. He didn't really step through with a couple throws. Footwork um, is a question for him. You're right. Go ahead. Yeah, just I think if he really works on his footwork, he steps through the throw and, you know, and obviously also just getting or learning the skill of reading or scanning the whole field because I know a couple weeks ago when I called in, um, I talked to Paul and he said that he heard from other um, sources that he's kind of, they play like a, a system offense in Missouri, right. so he's kind of reading the his first progression, I guess, mm -hmm. more or less, not mm -hmm. really scanning. Mm -hmm. um, but the last thing I had, um, I mean, if the Giants don't select a quarterback, you know, early on and they go with, you know, like the defense or offense positions, um, I know that Pat Shermer's son, Kyle Shermer, he's a senior at Vanderbilt. Yep. Um, you know, and obviously, I mean, they would, out of anybody, um, Coach Shermer would know him pretty well. But, um, <laughs> I think yeah. yeah. But, Good uh, bet. What, I mean, <laughs> what, what, would the, what would the chances be of possibly Kyle Shermer coming to the team as like a late, like, six-round pick or something like that? All right, well, we'll let you go on that note, Dylan, and, and appreciate the phone call. I, I don't know, you know, how likely it would be that the Giants would take him. I mean, granted, when Tom Coughlin was the head coach, they took his son-in-law, Chris Snee, so I, I wouldn't necessarily rule anything out. Personally, I feel, you know, the Giants over the last few years, Paul, they, they've taken some quarterbacks in the mid-rounds. I, I don't know necessarily if they feel they have to go in that direction once again. I, I'm, not, I'm not going to tell you I've seen anything of Kyle Shermer outside of two games. I saw him in, in, in an all-star game, and I saw one of his games, uh, the bowl game Vanderbilt was involved in. And I know that um, some personnel people have said to me, uh, late third day and possibly priority free agent. Um, so I, I'm sure he's going to be in a camp with somebody. Oh, I don't doubt that, that at doesn't, all. Yeah. That doesn't, you know, I would not su be surprised by that at all. Whether or not he's here, I haven't even given that much thought. Let's head back to the phone line. Steve is in D.C. Steve, you're on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you have for us? Happy New Year. What's happening, fellas? Hi, on, you too. Dot. Listen, hey, first of all, I appreciate you guys taking my call. Sure. Dot, I, need, I need you to hear with me for a minute, buddy. I okay. Need you to hear with me. I, 
I'm, I'm going to play GM here, and I'm going to break this down real quick for you and okay. everyone else. I was going to wait till after the combine because I, I'm not going to say I'm going to go ahead and, and put the stamp on the ink that's already on the thing, but <clears throat> I'm going to make my case as to why we Dwayne Haskins is absolutely the best pick for us to get with our first pick. Okay. Go ahead. Him, okay, number one, let's just go ahead and do your value thing because – all of, you know, all of a sudden, which value is really not a value thing for me personally when it comes to a quarterback, getting a franchise, franchise quarterback. But let's just look at it real quick. Okay, as far as value is concerned, if if we were to, you know, if we were to get him at number six, you know, I personally look at the value as we didn't have to give anything up for him because the value next year we're getting a franchise quarterback would have to be one or two things. Either we lose miserably again, which, you know, is, is – which I really don't think is quite possible because, I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of defenders, and we'll get to that in just a second. Okay. Or we have to – or, we, you know, we, we say we, we pick at 15 or 16, we're going to have to, you know, take quite a beating to move up to get him. So the cost would be a lot more. So let's just – the value thing goes out of the window when you look at the cost it would take in order for us to get a franchise quarterback. That's even being positioned to target one of the top three quarterbacks that can also have a bad year next year, too, just like you said Dwayne Haskins can. Any quarterback could Of course, of course. No, so, no, no. So, so to this point, Steve, we have we have no argument, although I would just ask you one thing. When the Giants gave up a boatload of picks to make the deal to swap Rivers in the Eli Manning deal, that worked out well for them. They traded a boatload and they wound up, the Chargers wound up picking three pro bowlers with those def- def- uh, draft picks that the Giants gave them. But guess what? Eli won two Super Bowl MVPs. So we- it, it's okay to necessarily, it is okay to pay a bunch for a guy if he winds up becoming, you know, a Super Bowl MVP. We love Eli for that. And this has, this has absolutely nothing to do with Eli. Hopefully he'll be here to groom him. But it is time, number one. But, the, but you know, the fact of the matter is, if, you know, Oh man, I, I totally, I, I totally lost about you. Just kind of interrupt, but here is the thing. I'm sorry. No, what I was gonna say is, that, yeah, we did go up, and, we did go up and get Eli, and, and every other, you know, everyone has him slighted to go a lot higher than what he is personally. So I just know that he's definitely worth the value. So, you know, if if we don't get him, there's a lot of, def- I mean, there's a lot of other defenders we could get later on with, you know, with our other picks too. So I just kind of think that it's about, you know, you know, it's the timing and the player all line up. So well, really and then the, the million-dollar question, though, is how the Giants organization feels about him. You know, I, I mean, that's what it ultimately comes don't, down to. You can believe he's a franchise quarterback. Let him say that. Five other stay. people can. I, but listen, that doesn't mean necessarily the Giants. Thing last thing too, before you, before go ahead, Steve. No, go ahead. quarterback taken in the first round since 2016, a, a, a team has gone up to get him. Every single quarterback taken in the first round mm-hmm. in 2016. So I don't expect Dwayne Haskins to be no different. He's by far the best quarterback, and he fits our team better than any other quarterback in this draft for the things that people say out loud that they want in the criteria for a quarterback for the football, football Giants. I mean, his stats speak for themselves. Nobody can, you know, he can't make up for the, for the lack of experience. All he could do is hope to gain it under Eli of Manning course. and under yeah. a pro set. But Steve. he's the most pro-rated. You know, he would uh-huh. defer that ball amongst all our weapons that we have better than anybody. So, I mean, listen, a lot can happen, you know, to a person. But 
to me, the value gets no better than getting him at number six. And God forbid you had to move up to number three to get him because makes probably more likely. Then I think we need to go ahead and do it. So until he proves me otherwise, I think he's clearly by the choice. And well, I really hope that we are really playing possum because we need to bring Haskins home. The fact that he was born to be a giant, born and raised to be a giant, and we all know he wants to be a giant. Come on, man. Bring him Haskins Steve, home. Steve, all right, Steve. Steve, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. All right, now don't go anywhere. Now let me let me just say this, because I think we can agree on this. Whether or not they take Haskins at six, and you know how I feel and I know how you feel, the bottom line is they better fortify that offensive line. And perhaps you would agree with me that maybe if they wind up doing that, they got to get themselves a stud tackle in the second round then because guess what? If you don't get a stud tackle and help out this offensive line, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Well, I, listen, listen. I mean, he did. Go, he does great under pressure, you know. And, and the fact of the matter is, we hope he sits under Eli for at least a year, anyway. But it's time, and, and that's another thing. People don't like to say that, but it's time, and it's not about him being time. He's the right quarterback, so we should not let the gift us in the mouth. So yes, we can get a quarterback. We need a right tackle, and I'm really not big on Jalapio. I know you like him, but I'm not big on that. Actually, I like I like Pulley to be honest with you, Steve. I like I like Spencer well, Pulley, and they don't have to go after a center in the first round anyway. No, I, mean, I wouldn't go after center. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about having to reach for a center. And we'll let you go on that note, Steve. Appreciate the phone call. I mean, but Steve, Steve and I actually agree on something else, though. Even if they take a quarterback, he says the guy sits behind Eli for a year. So Steve and I actually agree on more than what he well, thinks. two things, though, <laughs> that I wanted to throw out. Number one, whether or not he says he wants to be a Giant, was born to be a Giant, to me is completely irrelevant. You don't take a player for that hey, reason. Hey, Barkley was a Jets fan. Yeah, no, but it, the whole PR perspective <laughs> that mean has nothing to do with the no. evaluation of a player. Number no. two, listen, you never know where you're going to draft the following year. But that's not a reason why you automatically pick a quarterback because you're picking high. I, that I don't agree with that philosophy either. Because, you know, there are a lot of people that when the Giants drafted Saquon Barkley, they thought, well, there's no way they're going to pick in the top 10 the following year. And now the Giants are back picking in the top 10. So you never know where you're going to pick in the draft. So I, I, I just don't agree with the philosophy. Well, we're going to definitely pick 15th or 16th next year or 20th. So we have to take the quarterback now because we're in that top mm-hmm. 10. That, that I don't necessarily think is a guarantee. With that being said, let's head back to the lines. Coach Marvin is in Delaware. Coach Marvin, what's happening? How you doing, Lance? Doing all right, Coach Marvin. Hey, Coach. How y'all doing? All good. Uh, How are you? Yeah, you're right, Lance. Nobody drafts people for where they, who they favorite teams are. So yeah, I mean, you shouldn't I... even have to say that. That's just fans talking. Correct. Um, the other thing is, uh, real quick, is uh, what Paul was saying to kids just a minute ago, I kind of agree that they take Haskins. They, they're going to have to get an offensive lineman high in that second round. I, that that would be a must, you know. But we we still got to work on that defense. You know what, Coach but, Marvin? They need they need a plug and play tackle. I think to upgrade the right tackle spot. By my estimation, you might be able to get one as deep as the third round, maybe. But the problem is right now the Giants don't have a pick between the second and the fourth round, which is why I've said I believe more than ever that Dave Gettleman's going to trade up and get another pick in the top 100. In fact, I'm even going to go further than that. I think Dave Gettleman trades up to get a third pick in the top 75. How about that? Well, well, uh, that's fine, too. It's hard to say, but what about if you you, um, you, you, you draft the quarterback you trade yourself back into the first round, and you get an impact defensive player. And on the flip side, 
you go for free agency and get an offensive line. There's so many ways. Yeah, to do. that's a different combination. Well, Bobby Massey of the Bears just re-signed a four-year deal with them, and he was going to be the best right tackle in free agency. So be aware of that. Yeah, I did see that. I did see that. Um, the other thing I want to say is, is this thing is so unfair to these kids, how we tear them apart before they come into the NFL. Give reasons of why they can't do things and why you might not be able to take them. It, it's very difficult. I'm, I'm talking in the sense of experience of watching it and experience of one of my kids being drafted that I coach and um, what they go through. It, the guy that was telling you, I'm not saying this to you, Paul, but the guy that told you that Haskins is a middle-round, middle second-round player, uh, I, I can't agree with that. He's going to have to give you a list of 40 players that was better than Haskins. You're talking a guy that was third in the in the Heisman voting, mm-hmm. and some team and some people, not many in their right, but there are people that get this in this business felt that he should have won the Heisman. So for us to tear him apart, I mean, the kid threw 50 touchdowns. I don't care how he did it. Coach Marvin, just remember one thing. Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks have a no, very don't. bad NFL yeah, track record. So they, don't they don't, don't use that as a sales point, please. No, but he I, is right I, that his numbers I, did look good for this past season with Ohio State. There's no doubt mm-hmm. about that. You throw 50 touchdowns, you're doing something right. Oh, there's no Whether doubt. it's the system, your talent, whatever it may be. But I, I think what you hit on the nose, Coach Marvin, is it's a subjective process. The draft is always going to be a subjective yeah. process. It's it how the guy looks at the eye of the beholder. I could talk to five different people. They could have completely different views of the same player. That's right, Lance. And you got to know, when people look at things in their own eyes of their own team, they don't see things the same. Of course. And that's the majority of people. You can go to a football game. I go to the games, and I listen to fans. And when a call goes against their team, how outrageous and crazy they sound when they say that, that wasn't a clip. That wasn't a face mask, and it clearly is. You know what, Coach Marvin? You just, you just. I'm going to let you finish, but you just made a point that fortifies the Saquon Barkley pick this past spring, because you're right. In almost every case, everybody has a different opinion, but everyone unanimously believed that Saquon Barkley was the best, if not the best, the second best player in the draft. That was unanimous. Nobody had him graded below number two. So when the Giants picked at number two and they took Saquon Barkley, that was unanimous. That's why that pick was a must pick, right? I agree with that. And that's what irritates me. I I don't let it get to me because this this is just people's opinions. But you see people still today talking about Donald over Barkley. That's dead. It's done. It's not going to change. Let it go. Yep. Well, uh, and I just saw something they just wrote. They did one little thing. I think Lance was the one talking about it or John. Something about they said, how about they do a redraft today? <laughs> I'm so still taking Barkley. Of last year's draft. Do you know that Barkley, I think he fell, oh, he fell to Cleveland. They had the Giants taking Donald. Well, that's like, ridiculous to have a redraft after a year. It's one thing to do a redraft yeah. after five or six I'd years. I'd still take a year. Barkley. It is, doesn't is matter. Absolutely ridiculous. Doesn't and matter. listen, Coach Marvin, we're going to let you go on that note because we got to wrap up the show. But certainly appreciate you Thanks, chiming Coach. in on the conversation. We will talk down the road. A reminder: Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. We're back up and running tomorrow at noon Eastern. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. For Paul Detino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Monday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.